We're beginning a new series titled Spiritual Warfare. Our key scripture for this series is Ephesians 6, verses 11 and 12. Very familiar verses where Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. All right, so section one, the battlefield overview. Today we're going to talk about letter A, we are in a war. These terms that Paul uses here in Ephesians 6 tell us that we're in a war. He says, put on armor, take your stand, our struggle against powers, against forces of evil. That word struggle there in the Greek was a wrestling match, a, like a to-the-death wrestling, gladiator kind of wrestling match. These aren't words that my parents used before they sent me off to school every morning when I was a kid. These are more like the terms that a military commander would use in preparing his troops for battle. And uh, in these verses, Paul's describing for us the spiritual warfare that every person, whether they're aware of it or not, is involved in as soon as they yield to the Lordship of Christ. So we're in a war. Now, every war has opposing sides. And in this case, there's two kingdoms that are at war. The kingdom of God, also known as the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of Satan, or the kingdom of darkness. And we're going to contrast some of the characteristics of these two kingdoms with one another. Each kingdom bears the, the characteristics or the nature of their kings. And they're diametrically opposed to one another. And the nature of one is not found uh, to any degree in the other. The kingdom of light, kingdom of God, is characterized by holiness and righteousness. Everything in it is holy and righteous because that's the nature of God. There's nothing unholy. There's nothing unrighteous in it. The kingdom of Satan, by contrast, is full of sin and wickedness and unrighteousness. And there's nothing holy, nothing righteous about it. It's fully sinful, wicked, and unrighteous. The kingdom of God is full of truth and justice, where the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, is full of deception and untruth and injustice. In the kingdom of God, there's only beauty. In the kingdom of Satan, there's only vileness. The kingdom of God is full of peace and full of joy. The kingdom of Satan is full of turmoil and full of sorrow. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, is characterized by incredible creativity and productivity. The kingdom of Satan is characterized by nothing but destruction and loss. In the kingdom of God, we have healing and life. In the kingdom of Satan, sickness, disease, and death reign. The kingdom of God is characterized by ultimate goodness and love. And the kingdom of Satan is filled with hatred of all that is good. All right, and again, these two kingdoms are diametrically opposed to one another in every possible way. So, each kingdom has a domain. Every kingdom on earth has a domain, a place where their dominion exists, where they rule. So, first of all, the domain of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of light. God is ruler over all that is. Everything is His domain. Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. In 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11, it says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. 
So God's domain, the kingdom of God's domain is everything, everywhere, all of the time. And ultimately, only God's kingdom will remain. Revelation uh, 11 verse 15 says, the kingdoms of this world, we're talking, now we're looking in Revelation, of course, at the end of the age. The kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And everything in it, then, everything that's in that ultimate uh, expression of the kingdom of God that remains, everything in it will bear his image and express his nature, just like in the Garden of Eden. In Revelation 21, verses 3 through 5, it, it says just before then that uh, the Lord has created a new heavens and a new earth, and that the new Jerusalem, the city of God, has come down out of heaven into the earth realm. And it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then several verses down in Revelation 21, verses 23 through 25, says that the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. We're talking about how the kingdom, only the kingdom of God remains and everything in it is like God. It bears his nature, expresses his nature and his glory. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night or darkness there. We live in an age in between. There's the beginning, there's the end, where we know that ultimately God's kingdom reigns victorious over all. Only His kingdom remains. And we live in an in-between age. In Hebrews 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, "...putting everything in subjection under His feet, Jesus' feet, now in putting everything in subjection to Him, He left nothing outside His control." At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So it's like an election process. The, the outcome of the election is determined on election day. Voters cast their ballots, a decision is made, and the outcome is determined. But it's not fully realized and fully visible until inauguration day comes. That can be days, weeks, or months later. Uh, God's kingdom rules over everything now, but we do not yet see everything subject to his authority, but we will one day. I'm going to give you a quick Bible overview, all right, cover to cover from the Bible. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God, or in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the beginning of this age. Revelation 22.20, the next to last verse in the Bible, Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. And then John amens him. He says, Amen, Lord, come quickly. That's the end of the age. So in the beginning, there's the beginning. And, and God is in, in complete control of everything. And the end, Jesus is coming. And he is, uh, in that book of Revelation, he is in control of everything. His kingdom is consummate. It's the only kingdom that exists. The last verse of the Bible, the next verse, Revelation twenty two twenty one is the in-between. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all of the saints. All right, that's the age that we live in. We're living in an age in-between and there's a war going on. But the grace of God, like it says there in Revelation 22, 21, the grace of God is with us to live in this age and to fight this warfare. It's not gonna last forever and the outcome's already determined. I hope you find that to be good news. 
Uh, a side note here, don't ever study demonic entities and spiritual warfare without first beholding the glory and the majesty and the ultimate authority of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Almighty God whom we serve. That's the right perspective. Seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Setting your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. That is the right perspective to study everything. And certainly this warfare, this battle that we are in, and to study uh, Satan and demonic powers. We don't look at them first. We don't look at them most. We look at God. Bankers and fraud investigators who work with counterfeit money. They don't spend time studying the counterfeit. They spend time studying the real currency so that when they see something unlike it, it's obvious. And that's what we must do is give all of our study to God give all of our study, the bulk of our study, to looking at Christ, to looking at God, viewing Him in His capacity as the ultimate ruler over all things. And then when we look at anything else, we understand it in that context and in that perspective. Now, the domain of the kingdom of Satan, of darkness. Satan does have a measure of authority, but it's within the sovereignty of God. He is the God of this world order, the corrupted nature of creation that's separated from God by sin. There's a heretical view out there that Satan has no authority, that he does not really have any dominion, he has no power, and that that is a deception that he puts out there, that he has some domain in the earth. But that's simply not true. Jesus, in John 14, 30, called Satan the ruler of this world. Jesus wasn't lying and he wasn't deceived. He calls Satan the ruler of this world. In 1 John 5, 19, John says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So what that means is that Satan has influence over the hearts and minds of unredeemed mankind, over the thoughts, the beliefs, and actions of unredeemed mankind. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Paul says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So because of this, Satan is at work and has authority in, in every worldly system, whether it's earthly government systems, and that may be communist or totalitarian or socialist, fascist, or even democratic. He has authority and is at work in earthly government systems, in earthly educational systems, in earthly financial systems, even in man-made religious systems. Satan is at work and has authority because he's the ruler of this world's systems, all corrupted by sin. And any appearance of uprightness, any goodness that appears to be in any of these systems Anything born of good intentions or human goodness, all of it is, as, is righteousness that is a filthy rags, like filthy rags, rather, in the eyes of the Lord. It's all at odds with, all at war against the coming of the kingdom of God in this age because it's man-made. It's, it's fallen man-made. It's sinful and at odds with, at war against the coming of God's kingdom. All right, so that's the domain of the kingdom of God, the domain of the kingdom of Satan. Now, there are two wrong views of this conflict. And the first is too much emphasis on Satan's kingdom. Some people think that there's an, or they act like they think, there is an evil spiritual power uh, directly at work in every, every sniffle, every cough and sneeze, every fender bender with your car, every appliance failure. 
like there's just devils out there waiting to get you around every turn and they're causing every little thing. Now, for sure, sin, the corrupted fallen nature of this earth is at work against mankind and the purposes of God at all times. But that is just a chain reaction set into motion by sin. Everything dies. Everything lives, but then it dies. That's not Satan each time stealing something, but that is the corrupted nature uh, of a fallen world. And he certainly is at work, and we will look at that in lessons to come. We're going to look more uh, at that. But to feel that the devil and demonic forces are involved in every bad thing that happens, that's giving them way too much credit. Satan is not God. And he's not like God. He's not omniscient, knowing everything. He's not omnipotent with all power. And he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. We'll talk more about that next week. So, first wrong view of this conflict puts too much emphasis on Satan's kingdom and his power, his capabilities. The second wrong view of this conflict is the opposite end of the spectrum. It's to have no awareness of spiritual conflict. Some fail to recognize that there is a spiritual realm and therefore spiritual enemies in existence. So this opposite end of the spectrum is equally mistaken and it's at least as dangerous. We have to recognize that Satan and demonic powers are real and therefore this battle is for real. Satan's the enemy of God and therefore he's the enemy of all humanity, those who are made in the image of God. His every intention is, as John talked about, uh, Jesus rather talked about the thief in John 10 verse 10, his every intention is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Jesus didn't say to harass, to bother, and to make you sad. His intention is not to make you have bad days. All right, he's out to kill, steal, and destroy. Satan's been judged, and he will spend eternity in hell, separated from all that's good and all that's holy. And his hatred of God extends to all those made in God's image, all of us who are recreated in the image of God. He wants to take as many human beings to hell with him as possible. And no one is exempt from his hatred, his brutality, and his murderous intentions. Peter says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, Your enemy, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He doesn't say looking for someone to really disappoint or to rain on their parade. <laughs> he says he's looking for someone to devour. It makes me think about uh, National Geographic films where they have, uh, they're out in the jungle or out in the wild of Africa and they have lions chasing down a gazelle. And they don't chase them down and just, you know, knock them around and make them feel bad and insult their parents and stuff like that. They will devour them. This, this warfare is serious business and it is life and death in nature, and we have to recognize it that way. So two wrong views. One is to give uh, Satan too much power, to pay too much attention to him, to give him too much credit. The other is uh, to be completely ignorant of spiritual conflict and of spiritual enemies. All right, I want to make plain, though, that we do not have to fear Satan. We're not left defenseless. We're not left at his mercy. In 1 John 4, for John says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And James tells us in chapter 4, verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There was a battle raging before we all got saved. We were in it, but we were all on the wrong side of it. 
And the gates of hell that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 16, 18, they once held you and held me captive in the kingdom of darkness. Colossians 1 verse 21 says, And you once were alienated, it means alienated from God, and hostile towards Him, alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So sin held us prisoner, and we had no power to fight against the evil that's at work in the world. We really had no knowledge or no awareness of it, and we had no power against it, not to free ourselves and not to free anyone else. But then Jesus came. Glory to God. Those gates that held us bound were not able to resist the power of God in Christ Jesus, His Son, and He set us free. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness that we were just talking about and transferred us to the kingdom or the domain of His beloved Son. Jesus came and took us from the one kingdom and translated us into the other kingdom. He set us free, and then he assigned us to wage war against our former captors with the same power that he used to deliver us. I mentioned Matthew 16, 18, about the gates of hell a while ago. Jesus said, on this rock, and the rock that he's talking about is when Peter had this revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the Christ, the Messiah, the sent one, the deliverer. And on the revelation that he is the deliverer, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So now, not only do we have victory through Christ for our own lives, but we are capable of being and intended to be the deliverers of those who are still held captive. Glory to God. We're going to talk more about this in a few weeks, but I'm just going to end with this. Too often, when we think about the, the whole idea of spiritual warfare... What we really think of is trying to hold our own against the onslaught of evil against us personally. And, and certainly that's the first step, the first part of waging this war. But beyond that, far beyond that, Jesus said in Matthew 28, All authority is given to me, now you go and deliver others, make disciples, he said. We're not just trying to maintain our own victory here on earth while we wait for Jesus to rescue us out of it one day. The rescue has already occurred when he translated us from the one kingdom to the other. Now we're just here in the earth for the sole purpose of bringing the kingdom of God to bear on the kingdom of darkness. We're here to see his will enforced in the earth just as it is in heaven. And as we go through the rest of this study in coming weeks on spiritual warfare, we want to have that perspective, the perspective of the ultimate victory that's already been won and that we operate in even now as we live in victory and as we turn back around as reconcilers and, and deliverers, we the deliverers, the delivered now go to be deliverers of all the others. Father, we thank you that even though we are in a battle, it's a righteous battle. It's one that you have already declared victory over. You already have been declared the victor and we operate in your power now. We thank you for that. And we ask you to help us understand this war and to magnify you and to magnify your authority in it that you may be victorious through us and your kingdom will come. Your will will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Amen.